0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today I'm speaking with lecturer in Sport and Exercise Science at the University of Technology Sydney, Hugh Fulligar. Tuned in to episode 176 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So up today is Hugh Fullagar, who has recently moved from the Oakland Raiders in the NFL to back to UTS in Sydney. So I think this is probably the most loose conversation I've had on the podcast, and probably most mo- most conversational, most Tim Ferriss-like episode I've had in the podcast, which I think is great. Uh, it was great for Hugh to open up about the kind of things that were that were going on at the Oakland Raiders and really give us an insight into their program obviously not too much to uh, to get himself in any trouble but a really good insight into what happens in the NFL and what it's like being around the the machine every single day so obviously Peter hugh's phd was around sleeping recovery so we touched on that a little bit um but we also touch upon uh, the work that uh hugh did in previous jobs from working at fifa to obviously over in college sports in the states and then following on to um his most recent post at the oakland raiders so i hope you enjoyed this episode um hugh's a top guy and i know he'll do fantastic at uts um and it just happens that his nec- the, the next uh, guest on the podcast in episode 177 is Hugh's, bo- Hugh's boss, which is Aaron Cootes. So hope you enjoy this chat with Hugh. Uh, I'm sure you'll get tons from it.
1: But there's literally some hard research which shows that organizations who have more trust, like the average employee, will actually uh, forego a raise if they can actually um, have more uh, autonomy in the company or like more autonomy in what they're doing. So like, if there's more trust in the higher parts of the company, in the lower parts, if that makes sense, in you know engaging them and pushing them to do what they want to do, they'll actually forego a raise of having that more autonomy and control, essentially like trust.
0: But just before we do get into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Vald Performance for sponsoring this episode today. So if you haven't heard of Valve Performance, they are the guys behind the Nordboard, the groin bar and the all-new Human Track. So if you haven't heard of either of them three products, visit valdperformance.com uh, or follow them on Twitter at ValPerformance. So their all-new Human Track system is a motion capture system which integrates the Xbox Connect and four IMUs worn on both wrists and both ankles. So, Human Track has been initially validated against the gold standard in Vicon with some really positive initial results. With some more to come, which will be openly available via the Val Performance website when they do become available. So, if you, like I said, if you are interested in getting to know about any of them three products, visit valdperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at ValPerformance. Also sponsoring this episode today is Forcedex. So big thanks to Forcedex for their continued support of the podcast. And if you are looking for a force plate hardware and software solution, visit forstex.com. But also have a little look at episode 139 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So that's at strengthofscience.com forward slash 139, where co owner of Forstec, Dr. Daniel Cohen, goes into a lot of detail with regards to all aspects of jump monitoring. Um, it's certainly not a sales pitch for Force Decks, but you can get a real understanding of the capability. And ease of use of forstex uh, as re- with regards to the the software. So, if you are interested, forstex.com is their website, and follow them on Twitter at Forstex. So, over to the episode with Hugh. Hope you enjoy. Hugh, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thank you for giving up your time to have a chat.
1: Thanks, Rob. Much appreciated. Happy to be on, and. Um... Yeah, always been a very avid listener from afar. It's listening to Martin's podcast in India, in Udapur, some maybe two weeks ago. So nice. he's truly gone global, mate. So I'm very, very happy, very pleased to be on.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. He's got some serious pull, has Martin when it comes to uh, everything with in regards to retweets, follows. He's gone all the way to South Udapur. The bus driver who was
1: helping me out with the uh, the Wi-Fi connection even knows about him now, so there he you goes.
0: <laughs> nice. I thought he was going to say he was an avid listener as well. That <laughs> yeah. would be cool. The yeah. bus driver. Slowly nice. the
1: story. just Seeping <laughs> that advertising world.
0: <laughs> well, anyone that doesn't know who you are, I just want to give us a little bit of background. What your some previous jobs, education, and what, you, what you're what doing at the minute.
1: Yeah, no worries. I'll try and keep it try and keep it short, not to bore people. But uh, yeah, originally from a small town, which I'm now back in, uh, in Austin, New South Wales, Australia, um, did bachelor's and master's from 2008 through to 2013. I uh, did that in exercise physiology at University of Wollongong, uh, worked with some great people, some uh, Nigel Taylor, Herb Grohler, John Sampson. All who I've stayed very close to and appreciate um, all of them as mentors. And John's actually one of my biggest collaborative partners at present. Um, grew an appreciation and developed, you know, lots of applied knowledge of the demands associated with working under extreme environments. So you know, working a lot with uh, firefighters, which was my thesis, and I'm also military uh, special forces and even ambulance officers. Um, from there, I went to do a PhD, uh, international PhD at Saarland University in Germany. Um, under Tim Meyer, along with uh, UTS partners uh, Rob Duffield and Aaron Koots, I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with. Um, there was obviously doing my PhD, but I was also doing a lot of applied work, um, working as part of the sports science or medical delivery team uh, led by Sabrina Sabrina Skorsky, uh, working with you know various Olympic athletes, uh, football clubs uh, from the Bundesliga, uh, and also national sporting bodies throughout Germany at our local um, Olympic training centre. So looking at a lot of men's and women's uh, national teams, triathlon, badminton, and obviously uh, football because Tim was the um, at the time the German team doctor. So a very good time to be involved with German football during their successful uh, World Cup run. Uh, from there, I was uh, went to be the sports science coordinator at the University of Oregon, college football team, in 2015. Uh, I took over from James Hannish, who's actually at the Philadelphia Eagles now. Shout out to James in the Super Bowl. Uh, at time of recording, two or three days to the Super Bowl, so all cheering James on, which is great to see. Um, and Jay Delaney just recently took over my position um, from the Newcastle Knights, just for a bit of readers, sorry, listeners' uh, reference there. Uh, my role at Oregon was to mainly coordinate the football performance program to assess and enhance athlete readiness performance. So, you know, sort of all things trying to improve performance and reduce the risk of injury. And after one season there, Andrew Murray, who you've also had on your um, podcast podcast, he came in a newly created position of Director of Sports Science and Performance, and that coincided also with the opening of the Marcus Marietta Sports Performance Centre. Um, so he became my sort of newly created boss um, for all sports, but obviously specialising in football with sort of a uh, a central focus being improving overall student-athlete wellness um, and performance. And then after two seasons with the Ducks, um, I essentially fulfilled a very similar role in, um, with the Oakland Raiders for the past year, so working down in California with – A superb, unbelievable performance team um, led by Joe Gomes, uh, obviously with with the Raiders in the NFL. um, You know, an amazing opportunity working with the best athletes in the world. And um, just in the past couple of months, I've decided, very, very difficult decision, but decided to leave um, uh, that position and decided it was time to sort of just come home, really. Um, And I'm super excited to be starting as a a lecturer in sport and exercise science at UTS in Sydney um, with Aaron and the team, so can't wait to get started. After that, in about three weeks, after I've surfed my brains out, and the reality of academia hits in about three weeks. So uh, that's a yeah. sort of weird, long international road, but uh, yeah, it couldn't have been done without so many incredible, um, so much support, so many mentors from people all over the world that I've met. i um, been extremely fortunate to work and, uh, yeah, just be mentored by so many, some of, the, some of the best applied and academic practitioners in the world, really mentoring me for the last five years. So very, very grateful to sort of be in the same room that I was about five to, five to ten years ago, really. But, yeah, it's been a long, long way at home, but very, uh, very, very happy.
0: All right. Well, let, let's just have a little chat around uh, what it was like being in and around the NFL.
1: Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's hard work. It's <laughs> uh, one way to put it. Uh, but, yeah, it's the best job, best job I've ever had. I've liked that uh, – I don't know if you've seen that Brad Pitt – uh, movie Fury, where Brad Pitt's like sitting in the tank, and they're all getting like that war movie. They're all getting lit up by Germans, and they're all just they're all just laughing. But they're all you know they're in this sort of warfare, and they're just laughing and saying, you know, best job I ever had. And I hate comparing water sports, so forgive me for that. But you know, we would say that every day. Um, if it the same, every day's different. Seven days a week, twelve to fourteen hour days. Hour days for you know seven straight months. Hector, Gebs, and Flows, but at the end of the day, we're coming in working with the best athletes in the world, you know, with a smile on our faces and hopefully a smile on theirs for the majority of it. So, you know, I worked there with Joe Gomes, obviously heading up and his team of Daroletto, Wes Miller, um, Lad Harris, you know, developed a great performance program there. And I was just lucky to sort of tack on the end of it. They've been there for three, the last three years. I mean, they started when they were working out of the uh, the rehabilitation section of the, almost the medical center there. Um, and, you know, Joe went above and beyond and convinced the owner to make some, you know, really good decisions based around um, physical performance and the effect that, you know, maximizing player availability can have and was able to build a performance center. And, you know, I was just lucky to be part of that team where, you know, so many so many good guys are doing such a good job, you know, um, guys are paying getting paid a million dollars a week aren't much use if they're they're not in the park so you know Joe's taken the team I think they were last in the league three to four years ago in terms of games lost to injury and this year we were fourth so you know just really lucky to be to be part of that team I suppose the, the reality is that it's it's hard work but um you know very lucky and privileged to get to get it because not many people get that opportunity so can go into a lot more detail if you want man but uh
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'd just be interested what, what the actual job was. What was your kind of day to day involvement, if you can?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I uh best way to just break down a typical week, I suppose, of like what we did. Um, yeah, obviously can't go into too much detail in terms of uh IP and um respect to the organization mm-hmm. and, and NGO, but generally um, you know, breaking down a typical week, uh, Mondays Sort of mandatory, and this is very similar across NFL. It's nothing, um, you know, revolutionary or anything like that. It's just um, what worked best for us um, and our playing group and um, and our coaching staff. So Monday was mandatory day off in recovery. I might be doing a lot of post game analysis. So I was responsible for. uh, Obviously, we had we have the zebra data. So obviously, day to day, I'm doing uh, working generally in the weight room in the morning. Um, We had. Different lifts at different times. Uh, Wes is our major programmer. Joe's obviously our head S&C. Daryl is the senior assistant to Joe, and sort of our lead on, on the rehabilitation cases. Um, Lads, our nutritionist. I was sort of uh, trying to help out Wes as much as I could in the weight room, and then also looking at uh, sports science monitoring and setting up our uh, feedback delivery system. Um, in terms of giving as much feedback we could to uh, the performance team, the medical team, and also the coaches to obviously reduce the risk of injury and improve performance. Um, so, for example, on Monday, I'd be doing a lot of the post-game analysis, which was just played on the Sunday, and trying to get that done ASAP so we could formulate a plan um, for the design of our week. Um, Tuesday would generally be lower body in the weight room, of which um, you know, everyone would be in there um, supervising the players who would come in in different groups um, depending on, a whole host of things, whether it's based on injury status, uh, position, um, etc. Wednesday, then we do a walkthrough on the field, which is generally an analysis of what we had done in the game. So review, if that makes sense. Um, Wednesday was then upper body in the weight room, and our main practice day. So sort of we would leave the previous week almost on like a Tuesday afternoon, and then our, our week would truly start on the on the Wednesday morning. Thursday was a bit shorter. Um, you know, still a significant load for the guys on the field, but it would be a recovery day in the weight room. And then Friday was, and this is and then the lead into the game is very, very similar as well across teams generally formulated by um, Chip Kelly at Oregon a few a few years ago. And what James, we spoke about James being at Oregon. That sort of really, truly started with um, with Chip a few few years ago. That Friday's your fast Friday, similar to a rugby captain's run and a, and a quick body pump. And then Saturday's uh, situational. I uh, done it walk through pace, and then Sunday's game day. Sometimes fast Friday and situational Saturday is uh, flipped, um, but yeah, generally that's what would uh, what would occur. So um, the best thing about our program, I suppose, is players have total autonomy of. You know, if they wanted to lift at certain times, obviously they would have to practice at the at, at the coach's designation, and we always practice as, as a team. But in terms of what they did with us, where it was in the weight room, whether it was some form of monitoring, any of those sort of things, um, we would allow for them to change that. Some guys like to lift at six thirty some at am, others like to lift at six thirty pm. So obviously that increased, you know, the load, especially on someone like Wes, who's controlling the majority of those of those programs, prescription and and, and sessions, but. You know, when you do that, it sometimes means more work for us. But it shows the players you care, and you get buy-in, and they actually might do their sessions at a better intensity because of it. Um, So, getting player feedback on what was good for them is like was absolutely critical to a successful program for us. And Joe does that really well about engaging the leaders within our playing group of when is best for them to do certain things. He doesn't just prescribe something because. Um, You know, a textbook says that or, you know, he has a huge knowledge base for that, but um, it's really important to engage the playing group to make them feel part of the process. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. In terms of a day-to-day, a typical, obviously, my role would change depending on those days that I've just talked about. Um, But generally, my role was uh, was sort of a 75-25% split in terms of sports science monitoring on the front end. And setting up a lot of systems, and that includes a lot of weight room monitoring for sure, especially in the preseason. Um, and then twenty five percent being on the floor or on the field um, in terms of uh, uh, player weight room management uh, or on field conditioning.
0: Nice. So, what was what was it like being around the city and the stadium on like in season? How crazy was it?
1: <laughs> yeah, game day. I'll miss <laughs> game days for sure. Game days is just the was the hardest thing to, uh, when I decided to come home, was definitely, uh, I'll definitely miss that. The atmosphere of the Oakland uh, fans is something that you've just got to experience, I suppose. It's probably the closest thing that I would compare, having a little bit of experience of soccer in Europe, is a European soccer fanatic. Um, the Oakland area, just for your listeners' background, is a, quite a, it's a less wealthy area, especially compared to other areas of the Bay. Um for example, San Francisco I think is now the most expensive city to live in um, due to its huge uh, tech boom with companies like Facebook, uh, Google and Apple and Uber uh, all basing a, a lot of their uh, companies there. So in terms of the socioeconomic status and the back the background of the Oakland uh, community, it's one of uh, quite big wealth disparity and uh, lower socioeconomic status. But, you know, their dedication towards the football team is just unbelievable and, they, you know, they might not get paid very much at all but they'll make sure they'll have season tickets so it's obviously very difficult for those guys um, given that the obviously the Raiders are leaving for Vegas um, in one or two years so um, but to their credit they came out you know on the weekend and just the stadium was just unbelievable if it was third down on defence third and long for the opposition and we're on defence you couldn't you couldn't hear the person next to you, for example. Um, the noise in that setting was was, uh, was unbelievable. In terms of being around the guys every day, like, um, you're a family and, like, a lot of those members of the family are different, right? Like, you've got to respect each other no matter where you come from. Like, we have guys, um, you know, from all over the country, obviously, they are the upper echelon of, of sport in the world, really, that some get paid, you know, they might be on the practice squad and they might get paid you know, $100,000, which is still you know, an amazing amount of money. But, you know, you've got other guys like Derek Carr who's earning a million dollars a week in season. And, you know, it's the second highest paid player in the league. So you've really got to understand and respect where everyone's coming from. You know, we've got people from, we've got an athletic trainer who's of Syrian descent, for example, and obviously me being my dickhead self from from Australia. So I've got a lot of uh, varied uh, personalities and you've got 90 players, uh, for example, in the preseason and you know, you can, you can essentially double that for staff where you've got about 200 people, players and staff, revolving on a day-to-day basis seven days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. So um, it's unbelievable experience to be in that bubble, I say. Like it's definitely a bubble and you live and breathe um, everything that's going on every day and that's why it's uh, – Unbelievable, especially when you see it being put to work on game day and you're seeing getting the, the reward. But it's also very hard when that doesn't go the player's way on a Sunday. And that, you know, everyone, anyone who's worked in professional sport obviously knows about that, that, you know, winning and losing drastically affects uh, <laughs> the, the week uh, before and the week after. Um, but uh, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing to just work with players of all different um, backgrounds and you know, I've lucky been enough to travel to many countries and being a lot in different environments, and I think that's absolutely invaluable to succeeding in an environment like an NFL one. You know, being accepted and delivering an optimum program, um, which is a service to the players, coaches, and organization, you've really got to understand that that personal dynamic and how to get the best out of players each day, just because they're so unbelievably different.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think this might be a good time to chat about that. And the getting to know the players and like we spoke about before at length is talking about obviously the communication with players and building them relationships but how do you actually go about it there's a lot of talk around it but what are the actual practical applications like how do you how do you do it especially with guys like you say who are on tons of cash um from different backgrounds all over the country some well-educated some not so well-educated as in all sporting organizations how do you go about building them relationships so you can do the things that you've spoken about and build that trust so they can lift at half six in the morning or lift at half six in the night what are the kind of things that you did to build them relationships early doors
1: yeah it's definitely like it's definitely a team effort for sure i think it's it's, and it's not just a performance team, you know, led by Joe. It's people throughout all departments and the organization has got to make sure that everyone's on the same page and that's why there's organizational philosophies. Like a lot of people think, yeah, you know, they're wishy-washy, but I think they're, they're really, really important. And, um, you know, the great one in, in the Raiders is, is the will to win, you know. Um, the Raiders organization is built around winning. So let's all work together. To get that, and it's a very simple, simple message. But um, I think the things that come before that are super important. I think when, at least, what I've learned from when like communicating messages successfully to coaches and players, and getting that buy-in and building those relationships, I think the number one thing um, you've obviously got to be knowledgeable. There's no recipe for you know learning your stuff well and working hard because players will call you out on it. You got to know your shit and don't don't bullshit your way through it. So it's really important that. No matter what field, and this doesn't you know, it's not just sports science or SNC or performance or whatever, you've you've got to know your stuff. Um Aaron gave Aaron gave me some great advice five years ago. <laughs> I don't want to, this is a bit of a bit of a segue, but <laughs> uh, go me man, gave some great advice five years ago and he said and I just said, you know, like, can I ask for some general advice? Because I was scared shitless before I was going away for this PhD um, to a different country, and um he said just don't fuck it up. As long as you don't fuck it up, then you'll be fine. <laughs> I'll try to stick by that whenever. I know that's a really simple bit of advice, but I think that's a really, really critical thing. Do everything you can. And if, in this case, first point, you know, learn yourself first and foremost, like have that really solid knowledge base. Um, so that's a segue. But <laughs> there's other things like um, I think it's really important to, use words and phrases when you're educating players that, you know, like you're explaining to your grandma, like why make it complicated? You need to be, um, you know, you need to be passionate but you need to be respectful. And it's important to have those hard conversations with um, other players and people within the organisation that, you know, if they want to do things a different way, that's totally okay. I think being open is is so important. Um, so... You know, how, why should I tell the 40-year in the league veteran coach that my way is best because the research says that this is the way to monitor an athlete? Like I can't possibly know that more than that coach about the game of football, so why have the idea that my way is the most important thing? So you've just got to be open to – it's got to be, a you know, a, an open communication between – um, between all parties, not just between you know one and the other. Um, so you have to be, like you have to engage. Like I think one of the best examples of that is um, I don't want to talk about D because Daryl doesn't like being talked about because he's a very very humble very humble guy. But Daryl with you know with all due respect to D, I don't know how old he is, but he's damn experienced, and he's got about I think thirty five to forty years experience in the league, and he's he's still listening to every podcast available. Like he's there before hours, after hours, like looking at the latest research, asking questions, opinions of our interns. You know, he wants to know every bit of info he can get his handle on and why or how others do things. Um, we, I think we can definitely say that that's not the case for everyone in our profession, that's for damn sure. So I think um, when you're trying to build a relationship, learning as much as you can respectfully off everyone, not just other practitioners but um, the players themselves, I think that's true. And like learning off others is – again, critical of that first point of being knowledgeable. Like it's not a race or competition between practitioners. That's all so, so pseudo bullshit. Like leave that to the players in terms of that thing. Like being open to learning ways to be more knowledgeable, I think is absolutely critical to then, first of all, before you even put the front, you know, get through the front door with the player. Um, the biggest thing with players in terms of building that relationship is trust though. You've, you've got to gain their trust. You've got to remove the ego and show that you care. So you know, there's tons of business research. Um, again, I sorry, I'm going off on <laughs> little segues here, man. So, That's man. back no, no, the Go for it. On, crack on, crack
0: on for you, most
1: likely the the upcoming listeners. But uh, <laughs> you know, like things like recognizing excellence. Like, do we really recognize a job or a performance well done immediately after, immediately after it happens? Um, you know, there's tons of you know, neuroscientific and psychological research that proves that public recognition has, like, a huge, large effect on trust, especially when it occurs immediately after a player does something, or, like, this is obviously done in um, employers from a business um, research uh, strategies in terms of that. But, like, you know, how can we actually get a player to meet that goal? So I think things like recognition and things like team meetings, and it's funny, coaches have been doing that for years, you know. Coaches will have little awards, on the Monday after a game, or they might have, you know, hilarious awards at, you know, this player, little videos of players doing good things and funny things to sort of, and that, they've been doing that just because that's what they know to do, but for it's actually a scientific reason behind, behind them doing that, even though they obviously don't do it for that reason. They're just doing it because they know that's the best thing to do. So things that our practitioners, we can do to sort of develop that. And I know a lot of uh, great practitioners all, all around the world, have similar things where they, you know, they recognize uh, good acts and that builds trust and there's obviously tons of other ways um, to do that but, like, you know, there's there's tons of research which says, like, uh, trust, you know, when people are more trusted, like, they enjoy their jobs more. They're more aligned with team goals, like, they feel close to each other, like, they have empathy, not just with each other but higher up echelons of different companies and they feel less, like, burnt out from work. It's even like research from Harvard that literally shows. Now, oh, this is a serious segue. Sorry, this is like turning into some sort of <laughs> business podcast by someone who knows nothing about business or financial money. But there's literally some Harvard research which shows that organisations who have more trust, like the average employee, will actually uh, forego a raise if they can actually um, have more uh, autonomy in the company or like more autonomy in what they're doing. So, like if there's more trust in the higher parts of the company, in the lower parts, if that makes sense, in you know engaging them and pushing them to do what they want to do, they'll actually forego a raise of having that more autonomy and control, essentially like trust. I just find that really, really interesting. And that's one of the reasons where Joe and the team have sort of had that philosophy of making sure the players know that and that where all we want them to do is just be the best they can do on, on Sunday, and like, how do we get that? Let's get there together. If that's lifting at 10 p.m., all right, let's do that. How do we get around that? Um, is it because we need to get a sensory uh, deprivation chamber at 4 p.m. on Thursdays? Okay, let's do that. Let's try and find ways we can either fund that or organize it so it's really, really easy. Um, you know, you're not sleeping well because of the, you know, it goes off obviously, obviously a huge number of tangents, but involving the players within that. God. Process shows that you care, and that essentially builds the trust, which is absolutely critical to building those um, building those relationships.
0: So it's going to get go very quick break in the chat with Hugh. So up in part two, I get a little bit excited and um, talk more than I normally do around the research side of things and the kind of applied work that is going on. Or I'm seeing going on in the UK and Europe, and how that may differ a little or does differ a little bit. To what is going on in the states, and Hugh gives us partial reasons for that. Um, so I quite enjoyed actually getting involved in the in the conversation for once, um, but maybe it is uh, only for the uh, only for this episode. Um, but just before we do get into part two, just want to say a big thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So I have personal uh, experience of using the biomathematical modelling, which is inside the um, the tech from fatigue science and the reason I have a first an experience is that a previous guest of the podcast in episode 174 Ian Dunican used the biomathic biomathematical modeling which is available in fatigue Science's Readyband ready band to model a, a sleep plan for me uh, traveling long haul to australia 2 weeks ago so Superb resource uh, for anyone that is doing that kind of travel, not just that kind of travel but long travel whether it be in the car or bus or, or flights and it is something that is unique to fatigue science uh, and they have the rights to that biomathematical model which is as Ian says in his podcast most suited for uh, athletes uh, working in elite sport. So I'd encourage you to check them out if you want to know a little bit more about Fatigue Science. So you can follow them on Twitter at Fatigue Science and you can head over to their website uh, www.fatiguescience.com. So loads of information on there about the kind of things they do including the modelling side of things. So over to part two with Hugh. Hope you enjoy and any feedback more than welcome. So one thing that obviously you've mentioned tons of, tons of research there in terms of the business side of things, but obviously you've got <laughs> yes, a- like, let's just
1: let's can we, can we delete that or something, Jeez.
0: No, 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 no. Honest, I, honestly, I no, apologize no, no. I Apologise all the business listeners out there for that terrible summary of trust and research. <laughs> it's interesting. I find it. I find it really interesting. And I don't know. I mean, I guess people are doing this, but I, I don't know why things aren't translated from a business point of view to a sporting point of view and vice versa. Like I know that businesses do look into sporting environments for uh, inspiration for, for certain things, but I definitely think there should be hundred percent going the other way. And I'm guessing people are, it's just that i don't particularly know about it. But the reason I, I brought that up was, was regards to research and obviously you've gone through your PhD and, and going back into an academic setting now. How do you, try to impart your knowledge of what it says in the research and and the uh, keeping up to date with what's going on, actually, and bring that into a practical environment, not necessarily just the Raiders, but uh, Oregon and, and the other places that you've been. Um, without coming across all doctorate and PhD and sports science how do you bridge that gap?
1: Yeah, funny you mentioned that, mate, because <laughs> I came in one day on my tag... And Wes and Ladd, they'll attest to this if they're listening. Bloody Someone, one of the players actually put like doctor, coach Fulagar on my freaking, they put the doctor on there once I got my PhD and then after about two or three months they put professor on top of it. So clearly I'm doing a very bad job of actually s- trying not to be that doctor prof. I've done a terrible <laughs> job of it apparently. But hopefully that was all done in, uh, in good jest. But uh, doing it like doing external research, uh yeah, just get, again to give some background uh, doing external research uh, wasn't allowed at the Raiders um, it's somewhat frowned upon due like sort of league-wide I suppose just to each organization's intellectual property and things like that um, so it's very very rare that you will see um, especially in the performance setting anyway um, that's a lot of ton of like, medical or group medical assessments I suppose but in terms of uh, our sort of frame of reference this is very little Patty Ward's actually doing some great research with the Seahawks at the moment with Barry Druss and Aaron, um, which he is allowed, I think, to release some of it. So I'm really looking forward to his stuff. I think one of his papers just came out in I think it was Journal of Swimming and Conditioning Research. I think um, so. His stuff's just starting to come out, so I'm really looking forward. And maybe that's something that's going to change moving forward, where PhD students will start to get embedded into clubs, and like that's one of the big differences. You know, you look at uh, you know, the Western Bulldogs or any. Any AFL team, Carlton or any anyone, you know, they might have three to six PhD students across all aspects of performance. You know, running through on a three or four year, th- three or four year basis, and you've got essentially free employees. You know, you've got these three to six free employees who are trying to find that edge, and that's just re- that doesn't really exist in the states at the moment um, due to a host of reasons. But you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully that changes over time, and um, people in those areas start to understand why, what, you know, why we're doing research. I think it's really, it is a very conflicted opinion um, in the States at the moment of the state of research and how it can actually help. Um, I try when I'm at least talking to the guys um, who, at least who I've come into contact with, not just players, but members of organisations and uh, performance teams, coaches, etc. is that like everything that we're trying to do, It's designed to answer a question that we think can help win us games, essentially. Um, So we don't want to do research, whether it's in-house or external, if it can't answer, you know, a coach-led performance question. And Andy was great. Um, You know, I was doing a lot of Oregon research uh, with Andy Murray and and John Sampson, and they're setting up a great program there now where they're going to have PhDs and master's students and so forth, and they're really linking that applied um, an academic setting really well. Ben McKay from University of Wollongong was the first one of that. He's just done with data collection now. So having the freedom to do that at the collegiate level is obviously a, a great advantage. You know, we've found some super interesting stuff with in relations to acute chronic uh, workload, um, injury assessment risk, and that's all coming out pretty soon. We've, you know, released a, a few papers uh, just recently as well. Um, obviously, we'll leave those links with... Uh, you guys on on the webpage for the podcast. But yeah, I think in terms of the way to best integrate it, again, man, just get to the point of the question. It's all waffle before that, geez. Uh, in terms of how to best integrate that, you've You've got to, we, we, what we try to do with the Raiders at least in-house from a perspective, and I can't talk too much about it, but basically we try to align every parameter we collect in any part of the organisation, whether it's coaching, scouting, medical, uh, performance, financial, um, anything. So on-field availability, performance um, and team success and trying to align the individual players to how best to choose how they can whether – first of all, whether they can play in this league. You know? Should we be choosing someone – based on these, you know, collection or assessments of, of these data points as a collection, um, sorry, as a part of the conversation, you know, we're not purely relying on these to, to make a decision. And then secondly, how can we best prepare them each week? So that's probably the best way to put it, that when we were doing, um, when I was trying to do as much work as I could for Joe and giving him as much information as he could to improve his decision-making. Like, he was great. He was really open to that. Um, you know, he was he, w- he would love to do external research and understands the value um, and the societal impact of, you know, the wider benefit. You know, if you do a lot of research, when people think of research and how it can help them, you know, we all get quite selfish, you know. We're always like, how can we use that to make us the best, if that makes sense. When part of research is actually disseminating information to improve the field and obviously when we get to, um, you know, the upper echelons of professional sport, um, that's not really the care of the organisation. I don't really give a crap about that, you know, and totally understandably, you know, like absolutely understandably. But um, that's something I'm quite passionate about is that research just isn't there to, you know, help. Win and help decision making. Obviously, that's one of the aims, but the others is is to push the field forward. Like, how else do we evolve? And that happens in every facet of life, whether it's medical, um, you know, geology, archaeology, um, anything, any any field you can think of um, requires research to on to to, ch- to change things over time. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all these amazing developments and live in such an amazing world that we do at the moment. So, yeah, it's it, it was definitely. Um, sort of a a touchy point, I suppose, in the NFL. And I was a bit – in retrospect, I had very little time to actually do any research, so maybe it was a really good thing that I couldn't do any of it. Um, But uh, we did a tonne of in-house stuff, and that was a great – personally, that was a great for my uh, personal development that I got to um, experience a different version of that. Um, And and there is, you know, um, there's great things about that, you know. So I was very – at the like looking back, and you know, um, in retrospect, it was great that we um, did a lot of our in-house research. And I like I apologize that I can't talk about that more, but um, yeah, it's definitely like what, what if your what if some of your I'm throwing a question back to the host? Jeez, who's this guy? Go for it, mate. Um, Go for it. <laughs> the people you've interviewed, like how many of them have not been able to do research in their current job? in terms of, like, the guys in the, who are working at the upper echelons of professional sport.
0: Um, like peer-reviewed research? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, Martin's
1: obviously doing his stuff with um, um, his new website there with Jan um, and Matthew there, which oh, is yeah. a really cool thing, I think. Yeah. But, again, that's still publicly available, if that makes sense. So the, the big, yeah, the big knockback think, on...
0: Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's different. It's different, completely different in Europe than it is to the US, and that's yeah, kind of everyone knows that. And I think like there's there's Martin over over here, obviously in France, doing that kind of thing, but um, not not want to say too much on on behalf of Martin, but I think there's a there's a fear sometimes that of of, of, of int- not integrating, but them things crossing, what's going on in personal life with people's websites and things like that and and podcasts potentially and what's going on in the club. And often they need to be very, very separate. Like the research I'm doing, or not I'm doing, but as if I was in a club, is Rob Pacey on a night. But what I do in the club is Rob Pacey in the day and they're very, very separate. And I think... Although things aren't going on um, over here in Europe, there's still often that disconnect between, especially I think in the big clubs, the, and this is just my opinion um, from what I've kind of come across, that people are conscious that an organization may feel that them two are clashing um, when probably in effect they're not, but maybe the perception is that they are. Um but there's people like uh, Ben Jones who I've had on, who's at at Leeds Beckett University. And I think think I've mentioned Ben a couple of times in podcasts, so he'll he'll love me for that, Um, who are involved in a rugby league club and a a rugby union club. Um, And obviously they link with the applied research that's going at Leeds Beckett, which is a fantastic model. And I think his success with what they've done at Leeds Beckett is definitely gaining a lot of interest with the I don't know how many PhDs he's got at um, at Beckett, probably thirteen or fourteen in that little group who've who he's got in at Leeds Rhinos and um, Yorkshire Carnegie in the uh, in the rugby union. So I think that's going to be a bit of a model that I feel is going to be replicated with other clubs. Like you say, like they do in Australia. Obviously, it's been pretty done for years in Australia, and it's starting to happen over here. Um, but from the from the non-american people that I've spoke to I don't think there's anyone I've come across who've like when you said that about not being able to do any research that's peer reviewed from the NFL I've, I've not heard of that before personally um but it kind of fits what I've come across with regards to the NFL not in a bad way it's just that's just how it is um yeah, but yeah over that, here I've not that. really i not really heard of that
1: yeah and maybe that was just maybe that was just a writer's philosophy and that's totally totally fine with the way they want to run their organization. That's, I think one of the um, – yeah, another really important point is that I think from an American perspective when me and Andy have really tried to push that research um, from Oregon and shown the benefit that it can have is that people are actually really, really appreciative of – you know practitioners who are amazing practitioners all over the states and have been doing you know they might have been doing in-house research for the last 20 years for example uh someone like Jim Radcliffe's a great example who's um you know he's done this for he's been a s coach for 40 50 years or something and he's he's always done research you know in the background he's just never done any peer reviewed research so when you talk to those people they're really appreciative of when you are able to make stuff uh, public if that makes sense um Disseminate that research to sort of progress the field because, you know, again, it really is aimed about trying to help um, as many people as possible. So, I think I think there's going to be a real I think I think there'll be a shift quite soon. It's really nice to see. It's not just Oregon. There's tons of other colleges um, who are starting to do to do that and not just have positions within. Um, sports science or the sort of the I shouldn't say sports science, the performance team model where it's not just the sports scientist doing this or an SNC coach doing that. It's much more of a team-based environment. And once those teams start to form at all those different colleges, um, I think research will just be a flow and effect of that. Um, I think it's what it's first of all really important is that what the research that we're doing, you know, given it's sort of early in the uh, American football uh, you know, people have been doing research in American football for for ages, but in terms of uh, obviously the technology that's available and the, the breadth of data we're able to collect now in the current day, um, it's really important that that research is good and that these practitioners who have worked for 20 years actually find that important. If they don't, then it's absolutely pointless. These are the of guys working there day in, day out. And again, like we're talking to the coach, you know, we have that we're talking about the coach before. If you if you do all this stuff and then the coach goes well that doesn't work because of X Y Z then you know it's there's no use doing it so that's why we've been really really careful or tr- tried to be careful about answering questions and I know this might sound you know corny and I'm sure everyone else does it maybe we all do but those papers that are coming out um, from our from our collaborative team there is every single one is. A, a question from a coach or, you know, a discussion point that we've had in a performance team meeting with a a football coach being present. So I think that's really critical to have that um, collaborative approach where uh, you're getting that buy-in from everyone that, yeah, that's something we want to know and we think that can help us. And it might change, you know, very little of the overall, you know, we're not trying to revolutionise American football. It's been damn, done pretty damn well for a few years. The Super Bowl's still... One of the biggest events on the planet, and it's still the most loved sport in the country at present. Um, so we're not, trying, we're not trying to mess it up. We're just trying to just tinker little things and try and you know again optimize optimize things for the players so they can perform at their best.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing that I've had a couple of chats with people recently about is this this idea of publicising the work that a performance team does and for a number of reasons for getting the name mean? out well, there of it, publicize as in like i don't know like a performance twitter a performance department twitter yeah. account yeah. Yeah. for instance yeah. um, and there's people and i'm the people i think of are the Aussie guys who seem to do i think this really well and i think it leads to something that's really interesting and when like a job job come up at uh, port adelaide or GWS, gws people go mad for it because they think and that the, i'm yeah, no doubt they're cool. right that the work going on at these departments is really really good and i think that that is built upon by <clears throat> the public uh perception given the, the information that comes out of them departments and i think that if an organization is able to do that effectively the ramifications are like endless the, the positives of it are endless like if a job comes up at these places, like everyone's flocking, like everyone wants that job. So they're going to get the best, it's true, isn't it? Like they're going to get the best guys applying for them positions because of yeah, the sure. public persona of, of what's been delivered. And I think people are, and I, I, I know this, people are cottoning on to the fact that like it does make them look good. Like it makes, it makes the staff look good. It makes the leader of that staff, the high performance manager or, Director performance or whatever, it makes them look good. It makes the organisation look good. So for me, it's only a positive that that work, whether it be in the form of sports science uh, reports, like for, through Martin's website, that's you know very quick turnaround, or whether it's peer reviewed research, anything that can highlight the work that's going on in the performance departments, it can only have a positive effect. And and positive effects on things that you maybe won't think of, like recruitment, just having yeah. that public face. But I think I think that will, I think we'll see more of that. And I mean, David Joyce at GWS has done this for a while with his performance department Twitter account. But I think that kind of thing will happen more and more. Personally,
1: yeah, for sure. I think like it's obviously a, like a careful like a careful balance, like how many how much. You engage, and social media is, you know, such a beast that you can put something out there, and then it's on there forever. And obviously, any player, you know, gets taught about that. But it's, you know, similar for practitioners as well. Um, I think, yeah, you're talking about, especially those two clubs, for example. Yeah, you're absolutely right that someone, if they have that resource to look, if you if you immediately increase any form of resources, you usually increase a lot of other parameters that are revolved around it, whether it's. Um, it might be done for membership reasons, for example, like membership engagement, and I think that's going to be a massive one moving forward as well. Um, it's interesting. We actually did our one with Oregon mainly based around education of our athletes because they're, and I'm sure it's very similar in Australia and Europe um, and a lot of other places in the world, that how much the the teenager, sorry, or the 18 to 22-year-old athlete is just on their cell phones. Um, you know, it's unfair, it's unfair they on that thing um and we tried to sort of okay we sort of all right we're obviously trying to educate our athletes on a daily basis but when we're not with them what are they doing they're on their phone whatever four to six hours um they're on twitter they're on instagram um if we can sort of develop and we did it you know very amateurly like we no, no way should we seek experts which we probably should have and maybe we came down 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 the path but uh yeah, just doing sort of general educational tweets, like look at our best quarterback, you know, because everyone follows him on Twitter within the entire – so we've got 500 student athletes, for example. Everyone follows the quarterback. Let's get the quarterback to do a hip flexor stretch, for example, as part of his everyday stretching routine um, flexibility, yada, yada, yada. A little bit of education there. Everyone follows. We tag him in it. And then all of a sudden we've got immediately an athlete looking at that that they otherwise would probably wouldn't have looked at if that makes sense so again mm-hmm. you're just increasing resources and you're using that to your advantage um i don't see issues with that really i think it's um it's really important to use it's yeah sorry it's naive to ignore the power of that is probably the best way to put it
0: no i yeah i'd agree i think people will and have um for a long time but i think more people will cut on to the fact that that is could be utilized in a uh, in a really positive way. And there's a few people out there that come to mind who I've spoke to previously who um, who I know they're doing that kind of work. So, yeah, I think it'll be more popular, definitely.
1: And I think, like, it's, it's like, general, like, yeah, like, fan or membership engagement's like, a, a great example of the development of uh, the social media channels now. Like, you've got Uh, like I'm a a Melbourne Demons fanatic, for example, and on my Twitter feed, just as a fan, it's got day one at pre-season, and it's got, you know, all the guys doing bench press and then all the guys having their, you know, dinners or what's in Jordan Lewis's dinner, for example. Like (laughs) the social media team at Melbourne Demons are obviously, you know, that's smart people, that's their job. They're saying, all right, what do the fans want to hear? I don't know if that's what they want to hear, but they definitely want to read about something when it's not footy season, for example, Let's give them all these all these resources to do that. Um, you know, and I'm talking about it to you. You know, <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, they've been successful in disseminating that info to try and recruit. You know, me to buy a shirt, or you know, me to talk about it and talk to other people. So I think it's again, it's naive to ignore the power of it. It's just got to be done in the right way. I think it's, and we don't want to go down this down this path, but uh, obviously the power that power of social media, there's a lot of crap out there and I'll let the larger experts um, talk about that. But um, when managed well and for the right reasons, it can be incredibly beneficial and powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the only reason it could fall down in in this situation is if the the actual people in these departments aren't involved. It comes from a marketing person who's been to university and kind of knows that world but doesn't actually know the world that they're marketing to I think that's that's a potential downfall where club may see it as a, as a money maker and the people involved on the ground aren't actually involved and that can, could come a little bit messy but yeah
1: For sure, it's, again it totally depends on the environment right like um, you know the AFL is a great um, open environment. They do fan, and you know it, that's always said that the AFL worships the NFL and what they do. But I think what yeah. AFL does is actually you know a hell of a lot better of how um, NFL does things. I know Daryl was always saying it's like why can't we just do it like the AFL guys? It's so annoying, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Um, in the NFL world, you couldn't you couldn't do that just because of intellectual property of how things are designed. You know, if you're like oh we're going to do this promotional video uh, of this uh, weight room. Um, and its design and how many reps this player is doing. It's just like, no, like, it's, you know, straight X straight away. So, yeah, it, it's obviously contextual and like anything depends on the environment, but for sure, definitely, definitely beneficial. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes the next few years, actually, because, you know, if this wasn't around that many years ago, like, I feel old talking about social media and that's a bad yeah. sign, you know? Yeah. So, it's going to be really interesting where it takes off. It's definitely gonna to have to be a gradual approach, especially yeah, it's best obviously to be cautious, but yeah, obviously done in a collaborative and positive way, so obviously trying to be the most beneficial.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. So what have what have you got coming up? Obviously the new new role, uh, any research in the pipeline? I know you've mentioned the stuff that you've that's come out recently, uh Oregon, but
1: zero research. I'm just planning to surf for the next two weeks. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, Yeah. Get first aim one is to follow uh, Shona Halson's guide to conquering jet lag for the (laughs) next three or four days. Yeah. Uh, Get some get some salt water uh, salt salt water in the hair and try and remember how to surf again. Uh, But yeah, starting my new position in about um, three weeks. We've got a bunch of um, yeah, bunch of research coming out from Oregon. Hopefully, very soon. yeah, have got a ton probably, hopefully, hopefully around five to 10 uh, different papers coming out at certain times this year. I uh, started my new position on February the 21st, um, which will probably be around when this is released, uh, mm-hmm. likely. And then, yeah, going into the position is uh, yeah, just sort of a classic 40-40-20 model for a university position. So um, lecturing, um, teaching and administrative uh, issues along with our research. So, yeah, getting stuck into teaching, uh, first and second years about uh, sport, and exercise, medicine, and exercise rehabilitation, and also uh, trying to obviously start some projects here in Australia. But I'm definitely going to hopefully continue. Um, we're trying to set up lots of collaborations, obviously with the University of Oregon and Andy there, and then also um, a lot of our other colleagues around the world. So, you know, doing a, a ton of stuff with um, John Sampson at UAW, and um, I think he's uh, he's got many things in the work which I can't talk about publicly yet. But he's got a lot of uh, uh, Definitely a lot of positive grant feedback and uh, he's looking forward to – we're looking forward to getting second to a lot of collaborative um, research projects uh, for sure in different – not just in um, professional sport but, you know, I want to branch out into community sport, uh, look at injuries in community sport, um, impacting the wider community. Um, Also looking at other sports and I know John's doing a lot of work with uh, soccer and rugby. University of Wollongong, which is which is great, and obviously trying to do that is, uh, extend that through New South Wales, and then obviously uh, yeah, just initially trying to get you know, I'm used to the new job. Obviously, it's very important when you go into a new position is to you know respect everything around you, and obviously the people who have been there for many years understand how they operate, and really 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 excited to working with such a great team there and. Um, I won't say I can't wait to get started because I need to I really need these surfing hours these, these <laughs> next few weeks. But once this podcast is released, I will cannot absolutely wait to start. It's gonna be really looking forward to it for sure.
0: Good. And where can people find your research, which you haven't really touched on actually, but that's a that's part two. Part two. Um, where can part people two,
1: find part two. Ooh. Don't bore the mask. Don't bore <laughs> the mask.
0: <laughs> where can people get hold of your massive, research massive.
1: no one's going to listen to this mate you've, you've flunked out uh, <laughs> research uh, uh, yeah just research gate is generally the best um, I know I've been a bit AWOL the last year because the rate is obviously a bit of an increased demand um, there so apologise to people who have asked for full text and, and whatnot and I haven't been able to get back Andy's, Andrew's always a great Andrew Murray at University of Oregon, he's, he's really on it. So he's always a great person to email or tweet or ResearchGate for a full text. But, yeah, generally I try and get ResearchGate up to date. And obviously going into academia, I'll try and be um, on there a lot more. Um, yeah, that's probably the best probably the best place to do it, ResearchGate or Twitter. And what's your Twitter account here? Uh, it's just my name. So at uh, H-U-G-H-F-U-L-L-A-G-A-R.
0: Sweet. And one thing, as you'll know from me chatting to Martin a couple of weeks ago, and I've, I've stitched you up again, is um, books that have influenced your career, life, out, outlook. Um, is there any, any two that come to mind? Uh, it doesn't have to be a one. recent one. could be a past, something you've read in the past, or would it fit the um, time? Don't mind if you I can. not
1: probably... Well, everyone has these great ones they put on, you know, I see a lot of, you know, a lot of guys putting them on Twitter like books that sort have of influenced them. So anything that I say is going to probably be outs, like this is going to be a repeat of those things. I think I love those books, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I think I can probably offer another perspective is that reading books that have not only nothing to do with sport but they have nothing to do with that promotional jargon, if that makes sense, about mm-hmm. doing things the right way i think reading books about uh you know i've read books about cambodia in the last year books about afghanistan uh, books about syria for example um i think reading short novels i can't get the names off my head but reading short novels um and stories about people in those countries i think giving perspective i think it's probably going to help people more at least uh, Me giving advice to other people. Um, I think branching out into areas or books that you don't normally do. um, I (laughs) I freaking love Harry Potter. (laughs) I'll I'll advertise Harry Potter until the cows come home. Um, Yeah, there's another great one. I can't remember the name of it. I'll try and leave the link for you. But um, it was written by two Harvard professors, and I think it's called The Power of Choice. I'll have to double check on that one though, but there's a couple there. Anything related, uh, related around, yeah, that's sort of not just building relationships, but any book that's related to uh, the scientific uh, premise behind why we choose the things we do. And I can't remember that off the top of my head. It's killing me. But that's a really good one that I really like in terms of those ones that maybe you're after. Um, yeah, I'm trying to understand why any human makes the choices they do and when you're prescribing an exercise, or when you're designing an Excel spreadsheet, or when you're doing a weight session, or you know, you're doing a rehabilitation session, or you know, doing anything related in our field, um, I think if you can understand better, obviously we're never going to be experts at all, and I'm not an expert whatsoever. But um, the more you can learn about why people do the things they do, which really has nothing to do with Sport whatsoever or sports medicine whatsoever um, is is super beneficial for any any practitioner. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Sweet, Brian putting Harry Potter down for one, and <laughs> power, power,
1: of power, be, power of choice I, to be of choice to be confirmed for the second. Hang on, I'll really check. I've got to check that one. It's written by Nor- Noria, I think. I've really, I've got to double check it. That's really bad.
0: My bad, my bad. My bad. It's alright, it's fine, mate. It's fine. I dropped it on you. You yeah, clearly I didn't.
1: I mean, it's like you really could question me. How well did you read that book if you can't even remember the title? But it's had a profound <laughs> effect. on Not about the title; it's about what's in. What's it. Uh, yeah, actually, I've got. I just got the names of the man. Just got the names of. Looked them up. Uh, two I've read were "It's Driven." So, how human nature shapes our choices by Paul R. Lawrence and Nitin Noria. Uh, apologies for pronunciation. Almost as bad as your pronunciation of Martin's last name. Um, <laughs> Another one is Driven to Lead, um, Good, Bad, and Misguided Leadership, also written by um, Paul Lawrence. So um, I think from memory, they're two Harvard professors um, based on psychology. And, yeah, I I really enjoyed those two books. They just really opened my mind up as to why people might be resistant to things, why, you know, why we choose um, the things we do, um, why you as a practitioner might act the way you do, for example. So it's not just about understanding others, but it's it's about understanding yourself as well. Um, and that was really um, beneficial for me, not just as a, as a practitioner or as a researcher, but also just as a, as a general human being. So I learned things that I was doing in, you know, my personal life that, you know, um, were good, bad uh, and whatnot. So it, anything that makes you, any book that can sort of open your mind up is, is really important.
0: Sweet. Happy days. Well, thank you very much for giving up your time. I'm going to let you go back. No it's getting late. You need to be up early for the surf.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I've plugged this as a, being a surfer when I'm actually a horrible surfer. So. <laughs> we'll see. Well, no, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, for sure. The jet lag still hitting, so I'm actually wide awake. It's you know, 10.30 p.m. and I'm wide awake now, so hopefully I crash soon. I'm need to. i clearly not following Shona's recommendations. I'm engaging both in conversation and a computer screen with huge lights. <laughs> uh, terrible. terrible
0: <laughs> well, no, honestly mate, I appreciate you giving up your time and uh, I'm sure we'll will I'm sure we'll hundred percent keep in touch and um, get the laptop get a laptop down and get some sleep.
1: No, for sure. I really appreciate it and like the the content that you're starting to put out, um, obviously that you've been putting it out for a while, mate, but it's um it's really appreciated and I know yeah, Daryl's a great example. Like he's a veteran in the field who's you know been here, there, and everywhere, and worked with every athlete in um, you know all around the world. And even he's even he's listening. So it really shows the power of the of the, of the program and the content that you're producing. And I think that's uh, both testimony to obviously the people that are contributing, the people that are listening, but obviously the work that you're doing yourself, man. So it's much appreciated and very uh, humbled to be invited. And apologise for a horrible description of both books and or business related research
0: <laughs> do not worry mate No, it's fine No, I appreciate the kind words that's uh very kind of you thank you very much all good all good bye right, Paul I'll let you go catch you soon mate alright catch you man bye thanks for tuning in to episode 176 of the Pacey Performance Podcast hope you enjoyed the chat with Hugh So a massive thanks to Hugh for opening up and giving us his time and speaking uh, in depth about what it's like to be in the NFL, uh, amongst other things. So just want to say a big thanks to Valve Performance, makers of the Nordboard, Growing Bar and Human Track, Fatigue Science and Force Decks, all for sponsoring this episode today and making the podcast what it is um, and what it carries on to be. So I've got some interesting guests coming up over the next couple of weeks from a variety of backgrounds, so please keep tuning in, please remember to press subscribe on your chosen podcast player, and I will chat to you in episode 177.